This is part three of a three-part podcast. All right. Okay. Next one is from Timothy Etridge. If you live in an area where the soil is 100% sand, as I do in Central Florida, do you accept that? Do you accept that as your base, or do you buy topsoil from a gardening vendor and have them then dump a truckload on a tarp for you to distribute as you build the mound? <laughs> All Isn't right. Your so, guys' soil really sandy. Mr. Mr. Etridge has been out here many times, <clears throat> and uh, I, you know, he's got he's got a little chunk of land out here. I I think he's going to be building this year. So, um, all right, uh, sand. So you've got pure sand, and uh, I, and then it's like, or do you buy topsoil? Okay, first of all, no, I do not buy topsoil. I I never buy topsoil uh, from a gardening vendor. Now, it's possible that what I might do is, like, I'll see a spot, like, I'll go and visit it, and I'll see, like, here's a place that has a lot of topsoil and a lot of weeds. And, I mean, like, I'm visiting a field, and they're basically saying, yeah, we're going to build a development here soon. So we're about to scrape all this off and get rid of it. So I go out there, and it's a field, and it's full of weeds. Okay, that I'll take. But usually, if you're going to buy topsoil from a gardening vendor or from, uh, you know, places that sell topsoil or whatever, usually it's the same sand that, and it's mixed, it's two-part sand mixed with one-part compost. And then they're going to call that topsoil. But their compost is going to be laced with persistent herbicides. So you don't want it. They're going to say it's perfect for gardening. And what they're doing is a, is a special marketing technique called lying. And so don't <laughs> buy that shit. <clears throat> um, so I, I think the thing you want to do is that, first of all, let's pretend that you, you can't find a field where you can, like, get some soil imported. You're going to try and convert your sand into soil. So... Um, uh, you, you you might look into ways of adding clay, but let's not even play with that for now. Let's let's say we're going to try and grow stuff in this sand that's going to turn the sand into soil. And and so if you're down in Florida, you know the species of plants might be totally different. But um, I would I would start with legumes and nitrogen fixtures, just as many as you can, because especially those that could tolerate terrible, terrible soil. Um, <clears throat> and, and grasses, too. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that will tolerate pure sand with no nutrients in it whatsoever. And then they start to build soil. Uh, mullen around here. Mullen is a great plant that will grow wonderfully in sand. And it builds topsoil. Um, uh I would, I would, I would just try all sorts of different mixes of seeds to kind of see mm-hmm. what will start to take in the sand, and then come back with a lot more of that. But I would, I would go for uh, a much longer term approach to that. But then again, I have patches here of like pure sand yeah. that you know we've exposed through earthwork, and we've got stuff that's starting to grow in it. Um, and then at the same time, I've got, I've already got patches that have got topsoil. And so I'm, I'm working with that and I'm building Google cultures. Um, now yeah. this person is, is being asked with Google culture. And so there is a problem and that if you just take a bunch of sand and you stack it up with a bunch of wood as if you're making a Google culture bed, I mean, basically, you've, you've nearly mummified the wood. So right. it, it, it's like it's, it's not going to rot. However, and then plus the other thing is is that 
the Hugo culture isn't going to stand up very well. It kind of yeah. kind of needs some of that that soil kind of structure to help hold it together to be steep. Uh, if you if you build out a stand, it's just going to kind of slough out. So there are some challenges. Um, <clears throat> I think I think one good thing is going to be that um, you're going to try crisscrossing your woods a bit. You're going to mix in okay. a lot of uh, uh, smaller, twiggier stuff to help hold the sand in. And then I would say first thing you're going to do is you're just going to load that hugo culture up with lots and lots and lots of legumes to try and start building nitrogen. And those legumes will start to uh, uh, set root into some of your wood, um, and then especially as it gets wet. And you might find that some of the wood at the top starts to get exposed and you're going to have to cover it up the next year. But just keep adding in those nitrogen fixers. Right. And I, the thing is, is that if you bring in compost or topsoil from an outside source, you've got that whole persistent herbicide problem. And that is going to be nearly impossible to get away from. Um, it is extremely rare to find topsoil or commercial compost that does not contain persistent herbicides. So, right. So, I mean, and it's not like you go shopping around and say, hi, I want to buy this stuff. Does yours happen to contain persistent herbicides? And then the vendor's kind of like, let's see, am I going to make more money saying yes or no? You know, and so it's, <laughs> it's, they're generally not going to be really upfront about it. So, <clears throat> I, I think you got to build your own topsoil, dude. Next question. Um, okay. Next one is from David Hogan, and he says, The Hugel Flail. What is this mythical multifunction beast, and why does it get brought up so often? I would have to say that the Hugel Swell is a brilliant, brilliant thing for tropical or subtropical areas. Okay. Um, and much like biochar, which is also a brilliant, brilliant thing for tropical or subtropical areas, um, it is not a good idea generally for colder climate. Um so a great other question is, is why do people in Montana keep being so apeshit about biochar? And it's because they're stupid, I think. I mean, maybe they're <laughs> ignorant, stupid, take your pick. Uh, they are not aware of Google culture yet, maybe. Um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, if you go back to previous podcasts, you will hear Jeff Lawton and I uh, if you go far enough back, you'll, you'll hear he and I arguing over the value of a swale in Montana. And so he was thinking that it was a great idea. I was thinking that it's a frost pocket and that a terrace would be smarter. Then, okay. he and I like a year later, he and I recorded a podcast, and he conceded that my thinking was correct. Um, and, and so, which I think shows great strength of character on his part and awesome rightitude on my part. <laughs> so, um, the, the thing is, is that I, I could even imagine here in Montana, you could make a swale or two on less than 10% of your land. It's going to help you to have a spot that is cool yet can have a lot of sun. And, uh, so it's like not not such a bad idea, really. You In the middle of summer, you might want a really cool spot that gets lots of sun, and, and there you might grow a variety of different things that would, that would be aligned with that. But for the most part, I think you want to keep your cold air out of your system, especially in the spring and the fall, and even in the winter. And so you're going to want to design your earthworks to go along with that. So right. you'll want your hugel cultures to run in wiggly lines contrary to contour, so, the, so perpendicular to contour, but wiggly lines, not straight lines, wiggly lines. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so you know, the opposite, the swales are on contour, correct? Right. I mean, that's the definition of a swale. Basically, a swale right. is going to be like a really long, skinny pond. And uh, and when you build it, right. there will be no water in it. But when it rains, it fills with water. And then, um, you know, suddenly okay. it might turn yeah. after the big rainstorm. It's all full. Then it's going to be, like, super hot, let's say, for the next four weeks. And uh, maybe even six weeks, super hot. So this water kind of slowly works its way into the landscape over three weeks. And then um, now your your soil in this area is extremely well hydrated. Right. Um, and so it'll it'll hold water for a very long time. Um, but in northern climate, that's also a frost pocket, which is something you really don't want. Right. So, okay. People are talking about it. Climate uh, to climate. Jack has a massive, like he wrote something for permaculturenews.org that is an enormous rant against Hugel swell. And I think what I he means to say that. is that, what's that? I, I remember that. Yeah, but I, and I think, you know, that Jack's ranting against it for cooler climate. But I, I can't remember if he said that specifically. But then a bunch of people came out and just got super angry at him. And Jack stood his ground, as he should. Um, you know, the, the hugel swell is has gotten far more love than it should, much like biochar. Um, gotcha. Which also another one in that space is, like, people who have read about lasagna gardening – and yeah. culture being like, I'm going to do both all in one. And it's like, no, 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 no. Please don't do that. Um, I mean, having a flat garden that you rototill is indeed a thousand times better than trying to grow a garden on flat cement. And then on top of that, uh, growing a lasagna garden is about five times better than your tilled flat garden. And a mm-hmm. uh, culture is going to be about 15 times better than your uh, lasagna garden. However, you know, don't, you're going to take all that gooditude away if you start putting the lasagna garden back in. So uh, if you do lasagna and a culture together, then you're probably looking at something that's like two or three times better than a standard lasagna garden, but you can do better still if you don't do the lasagna garden in there with it. Gotcha. All right. So the Hugel swell, okay. great for tropical or subtropical. The end. Okay. Okay. All right. The next one is from Susan Wakeman. And she says, can he comment on pests in the fugal bed, such as mice or pill bugs? Um, so I can say, for example, on our fugal culture here last summer, we had an infestation of chipmunks, just <laughs> dozens of them. I mean, the, the, the ground would be like you'd come outside and the whole hugel culture bed seemed to be moving with all the life moving all over it as the chipmunks <laughs> are trying to get away from you. Um, it was it was creepy. And then um, uh, we did nothing at all, which is, which is the permaculture way. And then uh, we noticed that there seemed to be far, far less of them, and that's when um, uh, Fred found the stoat but it was a dead stoat. It, it looked like it looked like the chipmunk mafia did it. But, <laughs> you know, we didn't have we didn't have Fugaculture CSI to like you know <laughs> figure this one out to be sure, mm. and uh, you know do the lab tests and stuff. Uh, but the stoat did have a hole in it, 
which was really kind of weird. Like something had killed yeah. his goat. Um, and it was sitting like right in the middle of one of our trails as if, you know, like it's a sign from the mafia. Yeah. One, You're one came here, wiped out a bunch of our people, but we killed him and <laughs> we put him up on a pike of sorts, you know, as a warning to you, the two local people, <laughs> something like that. So... Like, we're next. If we do this again, we're next. <laughs> like a threat <laughs> from the Chipmunk Mafia. So anyway, um, the, the, the moral of the story is, is that let's say you got too many mice. It's like, you know, the critters that let, think mice are made out of ice cream will show up because you've got the best ice cream parlor in town. <laughs> and and so the ones who like ice cream will be here, and uh, then you will have less mice. Um, pill bugs, very similar thing. Critters that love to eat pill bugs will be along and gobble them up. Um, now pill bugs will, will you know they're they're part of our composting army. Um, you know they're they're, they're somebody that works for us, but they kind of. Well, sometimes sometimes they'll come along and they'll be like, mmm, what is this? I will chew these up and turn them into fertilizer because that's Mm -hmm. how I roll, which is kind of funny because they're also called roly-polies. Yeah, you got uh, it. That's how I roll. And and so, uh, uh, but then sometimes they kind of go over your plants and say, this isn't bad either. I can eat these little roots of these plants. They're kind of nice. So, you know, you kind of think, well, wait a minute, that's where I'm growing all my growies. This is not for you. So now I, I kind of get in this space that if a plant is growing really well, really vibrant, you know, and I, and I, I cannot prove this, but I think if a plant is doing really well, somehow, mysteriously, magically, and this could be nothing but my own imagination, the pill bugs seem less interested in the plant. But if the plant is not doing well, then the pill bugs are more interested in it. It's as if Mother Nature called and said, okay, we've got a problem plant here. We need you guys to take this out, okay? <laughs> so um, I, I believe that if your plant is doing really, really well, pill bugs are much less of a problem. Now, Slugs are another thing, but I think now we're getting into something that's a very common garden pest. And and then plus the thing is mice, you know what I like to eat mice is snakes. And snakes yeah. also like to eat slugs. And um, so, you know, two for one. I think part of what we're trying to do is to build an ecosystem. And it can take years. It can take time. Yeah. And so... Um, I think the best thing to do is to ride it out and say, well, I guess they're going to need some of that. Now, I I do think that, that part of it is is that you're going to grow um, a lot of hugelkultur beds. In fact, usually the first year you'll build so much, the second year you'll build more, the next year you'll build more, and then now you're, the hugelkultur the beds that you built closest to your house, um, the first year are now much more mature, and they might have a much more mature ecosystem, which would include controls on the pest. Right. That's that's my answer. Now, some people are a little bit less patient, and in which case it's kind of like, well, because the other thing is, like, if you've got mice and pill bugs, run some chickens through there. Run yeah. some hogs through there. You know, the hogs, the chickens, they'll put a dent in, in your mice population, and the chickens, you know, will put a dent in your pill bug population. I mean, they'll scratch up stuff, and it's like, look, a bunch of pill bugs. And they'll eat them up. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can, that might be part of your permaculture design. Yeah. And if it's not, then you can wait, and nature will come up and take care of it for you. Nice. Ready? Is that good? Ready. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, so Sue Ryan says, can you comment on examples of culture beds that are 10 plus years old? How are they performing? What are they planted with? And what, if any, is the ongoing maintenance requirement? Wow. Um, 10 plus years old. Yeah, who we got? I I did build some hugu culture beds more than 10 years ago. In fact, let me just, yeah, 11 years ago. And 10 years ago. Um, and so like one on the farm I used to have out of Mount Spokane, uh-huh. but I... I haven't been back to that property in a very, very long time. So I don't know how they're doing. Um, doesn't Seth have old ones probably? What's that? Is it doesn't Seth have really old ones probably? Right. But I've never seen Seth bed. I mean, I, I've never been to Austria. Right. So I have not okay. seen, You've those. Never seen them. Right. Um, I do know that Seth talks about rebuilding his cultures every 30 years. Okay. Um, so, but I can tell you about one that I built 10 years ago, and because I'm being asked this question, I'm thinking, like, maybe, maybe this summer I'll make a trip to the Seattle area and see if they're still there. Because I built those in 2006, and I came by probably around sometime around 2010. They would have been four years old, and I saw them. And there was a beautiful thing, because when I moved out of that property the previous year, which I think was about 2009, 2008, somewhere around there. Is that right? No, I must be screwing this up. But all right, I'm screwing this up somehow. But when I moved off of that property that was in Seattle, then the next person that was moving in was ripping out all of my plants and planting flowers. they, they They were going to switch to strictly ornamental. And while I was moving out, they they decided, like, okay, this time they're going to grow ornamentals. So they're going to go ahead and get a head start on that. A um, little sad to see, but, you know, all right, whatever. Um, but I came back, I think, two years after that, and I saw uh, magnificent sunchokes, just giant sunchokes. Uh, where I'd planted them, and I saw magnificent rhubarb where I'd planted it, and I saw a lot of volunteer tomato plants growing. Mm-hmm. Nice. So that's not 10-plus years old. Yeah. However, if I went back there now, it would be 10-plus years old. And so I, I think that a trip to Seattle is in order, and it seems like the last time I made a trip to Seattle, I was uh, really well-received. There was, like, a big crowd of people that got together. It was really kind of fun. The wind was blowing yeah. like crazy at the place we went to, but it was still really cool. So, you know, and I know Jocelyn has to go back there once in a while for business reasons, and mm-hmm. so that could be kind of cool going there you back go. for, like, you know, yeah little three- or four-day trip, and Jocelyn could do her business, and I can visit with Permies. That'd be kind of yeah. neat. Yeah. Do, are you, do you know the people who live on that land? I don't. I don't. But this particular stuff was built in that, this particular hugu culture was built between the sidewalk and the street. So it is open to the public to gawk at. Nice. And so I, all I need to do is maybe take a quick picture. I don't need Bye, to, bing, like, bada, boom. I, I kind of feel like if I stand there and start poking at things, that's, like, violating 
the coolness code or something. But if I'm standing on the sidewalk or walking on the sidewalk or on the road or whatever, that's all okay. And and so if the area is totally taken over with sunchokes and rhubarb and volunteer tomatoes still, then that will be cool. Um, So I... I, so I, I don't have a really good answer here, um, but okay. I, I do think it's time to get a good answer. Yeah, cool. So hopefully more. That's fair more enough. Is, that's assuming, of course, that I'm all healthy and and fine and lovely here and hopefully Walk, a few weeks. Walkable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this next one is uh, from a Permese <laughs> whose name I cannot pronounced. It's X-I-S-C-O Nicola. I don't know how to pronounce the first name. So, there we go. So, they say, so, in what case is it not the best idea? For example, if the wood is not available on the property itself or in a certain type of weather or climate, I think they mean. Huh. Um... Huh. I I think that it's not the best idea. I I think that one place where it could be challenging, but it has been proven to be not challenging. So, in a tropical climate, then it's like it's it's in a tropical climate. It's really difficult to have mulch. And and I would imagine that if you put wood in soil, I would imagine that that would break down just incredibly fast. It would it would break down so incredibly fast that you would receive very little benefit from having done it. Now I don't know that this is true, but this is a guess, okay. and. And so in which case, now we're talking about, like, okay, you should do biochar. Because biochar is a great big pain-in-the-ass process, but the stuff will actually last. Mm-hmm. Whereas up here um, in Montana, if you, you know, why would you do biochar when you could do hugelkultur? And right. And so now it's going to last, like, 60-plus years, you know, Seth will rebuild his in 30, but but I think that, uh, well, maybe in 30 years it, it is, you know, like a giant compost pile, but, you know, maybe you can just add to it or something. But um, uh, it's like you got so much benefit out of what you put into it, plus there's this whole concept of, like, uh, you know, how old are you and how long are you going to live? Um <laughs> And then, you know, it's combined with the concept of, like, isn't a gift for your children, your your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Um, so uh, I would, that would be my, that's, that's one case. The whole concept of, like, the the sand on top of wood, that's a bit of an issue because now you're kind of mummifying the wood unless, of right. course, you just, you know, pack it full of legumes and, and you know, try to build that soil. Grow, you know, take your time, grow lots and lots of stuff that's going to be uh, soil builders. Um, right. And then, I mean, like she said, the, if the wood is not available on the property itself, I mean. But we already talked about know. that where it's like, well, what if you don't have wood? You know, right. so um, uh, you can do it without wood. It is possible to do it without wood. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if you could still call it uh, hugel culture, right? Um, because it's not soil on wood, but mm-hmm. you can, you you can get something similar to the effect. It's about you know because now you're adding a lot of organic matter into this really enormous raised bed. Um, so, yeah, if the wood's not available, then, then uh, 
uh, it stops being Hugo culture. But because that's the other thing too is it's kind of like you can do a raised bed garden, but when you say raised bed garden, a lot of people have this idea of something that is three inches off the ground, like that's the total height of their raised mm-hmm. bed garden. Yeah. But if I say Hugo culture, it's kind of like the default is is that it's six or seven feet tall. Unless you say I'm making it only two feet tall. Yeah. So, um, granted, you know, if if we take out all the wood, it's no longer Hugo culture, according to you know our English language. In German, it actually means raised bed. That's it. It's a raised bed garden. That's it. That's all it is. Oh. But but now here in America, we have likened it, you know, English-speaking areas, we we have, we're using this word or possibly abusing or misusing this word. It yeah. means soil on wood. And we expect it to be six or seven feet tall. So, so if you don't have wood available and you're saying, like, I'm going to try to build a hugo culture, but I don't have very much wood, then, I don't know, it's fair to say it's six or seven feet tall, and it's really sucky culture because there's not very much wood in it. So um, that would. So the question is, in what case is it not the best idea? So I think we've covered a few. Yeah, yeah. But I can't think of any others offhand. Yeah, I think that covers it. Okay. Question. So. So then, um, thing for me says I had to rebuild what went down after six months. So, what is the best form and the best way to hold the soil, uh, e.g., with the choice of plants to grow? So we already covered the holding the soil, but I think this is the other part of this is possibly referring to just it like shrinking or sinking. Okay. Now, it's possible if you start off with some pretty rotten stuff to begin with, and then you throw, like, you know, some manure in with it, and then you build on top of that, then what's going to happen is is that, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of compost fairly quickly, and, and when it composts, it's, it's going to shrink a lot, just as a yeah. compost pile would. Um, so, you know, which is why less, not not quite so rotten stuff is going to make your bed stand up taller. All right, so what is the best form? Um, and in which case, I still got to go with the, the steep sides. And if if your hugelkultur bed deflates a lot, like you built something seven feet tall and now it's four feet tall, I would say that wherever you've got a growy that you like, you leave it alone. Wherever you have growies that you're not in love with, I would add to the top of the pile and and make it tall again. So now you've got like tall bits and not so tall bits. And and what I would add would be more wood and more soil. Yeah. So now you've got a wacky looking thing, but hey, it's hugo culture and uh, okay. it's doing good. Texture. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next one Next. is um, yeah. What what is the one thing you definitely shouldn't do? AKA placement, design, or other factors of potential disaster. <laughs> Uh, so, I I mean, I think we've talked about placement. I mean, squiggly lines that are dominantly uh, perpendicular to contour lines. Um, let's see. And we talked about diversity on the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those were all good to-dos. 
I'm, I, I think lots of diversity on the outside is good. Um, and then I think another good one is, is uh, if stuff is not doing well, I think, you know, uh, if it's going to die, cut it out sooner rather than later. Or, you know, an even, an even lazier approach is just let it die where it is yeah. and don't do anything. Um, but, this is, but this is what is the one thing you definitely shouldn't do. Oh, that you should not do. Yeah. As a design thing. Okay, I think we've talked about the 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 Hugel Swale mess. Right. We've talked about the challenges of sand. And I think the same could be said for clay. I mean, like if you've got, you know, clay and then you do Hugel culture but your soil is like just clay then you've kind of built the Alamo, sort of, haven't you? <laughs> and so yeah. you, you, you need something to break up that clay. Um, so a pure clay with logs, um, you, it's, it's the same challenge with pure sand. You've got to plant something that will dig through that clay and, and start turning that clay into soil. Uh, something you should not do. Oh, I got one. Uh, don't put cedar or black locust or honey locust on the inside of the pile. So wood that is famous for not rotting well does not go inside the pile. Now, cedar would be especially bad because... Cedar is kind of full of things that really hate. So don't put that in there. Um, I think a, a common mistake is like, oh, look at all this wood. I'm going to rent a wood chipper, and then I'm going to make hugel culture beds. And it's like, yeah. I, I think pretty, my opinion is pretty universally a wood chipper is the wrong thing to ever have at all, ever ever, ever. Like, there's no reason to ever use a wood chipper for anything. Um, but it's especially bad for uh, a culture. When you've got great big chunks of wood, that's a great thing to use for culture. And then when you've got, like, wood chips, then, then that is a, like, you You've got to be desperate for materials to use wood chips. Uh, wood chips, as we mentioned earlier, are going to uh, uh, make it make for nitrogen immobilization, and so it's yeah. going to make it, uh, you know, so that your your hoo culture bed really can't grow very much at all. Even even some legumes are going to struggle in that environment. So, um, and then plus, you want to talk about Pill bugs, oh boy, do they love a wood chip pile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I guess I'm not coming up with a lot of other things. I mean, don't make your hugelkultur out of Portland cement. Uh, don't make it out of <laughs> rock. Don't make it out of. Uh, don't put tar in it. Uh, don't make it out yeah, of asphalt. But- uh, I don't know, there's things that seem like really odd that somebody would try to do. Yeah. I'm trying to think, like, what are the things somebody might try that was like a really... But really, the, the whole concept of hula culture is generally so extremely forgiving. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, a, in many ways, it's kind of like the golden bullet uh, solution for so many things. It's, it's kind of hard to screw up. Yeah, well... And even if you do actually, screw it up, it'll kind of fix itself over time. Yeah. Yeah, well, and then that same guy actually asked and another question later on. He says, what are your uh, biggest pet peeves about hugels and the people that misuse them? So, I don't know if that, that seems kind of related. I don't know if you have any of those. Well, the, the hugel swale is a crazy thing. And, and, and I, I'd say that that's a bit of a peeve. I mean, 
when when Jack wrote that big thing about the Hugel Swales, I I was applauding Jack, which of course he, he couldn't hear. I, I did send him an email saying, "Good job. I, I like that article. Mm-hmm. You're you're right on, man." And uh, you know, keep up the good play. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of like what's the what's something there there is something that um, is something to be, to be wary of. So a lot of people. And, in fact, I did this in my earliest Hoogles, and now it's kind of like I try to warn people away from making the mistakes I made. And that is that I stuck big sticks in the top of my Hoogle cultures with the idea that, like, pole beans and stuff could go up those sticks. Yeah. Um, and and um, in hindsight, not so bad, but but when the stick is embedded in the soil where it's moist, and then it comes up past the mulch, and if the stick if the stick breaks and is not very long, then it is a way to dry out the hugel culture bed. So it's not a very good idea. In fact, if the stick is of a certain age, it will wick the water up, and then that water will get spread throughout the stick, and it, it's basically even if the stick is long, it'll still dry out the hoboculture bed. Huh. So that's that's a thing I tried to discourage people from. Um, okay. So that would be, I don't know if it's a pet peeve as much as it is, like, I've made that mistake. Let me try to save you from a mistake I've made in the past. Um, right, okay. Oh, oh, a pet peeve. Oh, here's one. <laughs> Which was brought up earlier, the attempt to use commercial soil or commercial compost. Right. Because those those persistent herbicides, once they're in your system, they have a half-life of like 7 to 11 years. And, yeah. and it's, like you, you, it's like the best way to fix it is to move away or... Or like have the whole whole culture bed scooped up and put into a dump truck and hauled to the dump, uh, and then you start over. You know, without that, I mean, the the solutions are like really extreme, and and uh, I mean, we're doing this because we want we want things to be better. We want a, a higher purity of food, and so. Um, if you introduce persistent herbicides, and and you will, with commercial compost or commercial topsoil, that's kind of like now your stuff is no longer pure. In fact, you were about to make something that's better than what you can buy at Whole Foods, and now that's debatable. Yeah. You've lost your purity. So that, that's a pet peeve is like, Oh, please do not bring in anything that might have persistent herbicides. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. I, I I'm having a hard time thinking about other pet peeves. I don't I don't have any. Plus, our That's conversation's okay. already been so rich. I think we've kind of covered a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So All yeah, right, this one. Go to the next question. Might- yeah, we might have already covered this, um, but David Hogan also says, age of wood. Does age matter and why? I don't know if that's different from the freshness of wood. That That's going to be the same as freshness. I mean, okay. uh, I mean, the thing is, is that when the wood is green, like you just cut it down eight minutes ago, then there's going to be, be hardly any fungus in it. In fact, the wood's going to have a bit of a fungicide in it. When the wood gets to be about four days old, then uh, the fungicide has kind of like uh, disappeared. So now funguses can move in, and it's a race to see which fungus moves in. Now, if you're growing mushrooms, you want, you know, your mushrooms to move in first. All right, now let's move okay. on to like the so that so there's there's that which mushrooms got there first and 
And uh, so that makes a difference in the quality of the garden, and there's different things you can do. But that's, I mean, that's an enormous discussion to be handled by people that are bonkers about funguses. And, and I, my knowledge of fungus is not nearly as rich as those guys. So, mm-hmm. so let's, let's set that aside. Now let's get into, like, whether it's a year old or five years old or ten years old. And, and so um, if you get some wood in, in fact, if you get some wood in that has brown cubicle rot, and, and you can tell, and this is a particular kind of fungus that got to this wood, uh, you can tell because it looks like it's, it's like in little cubes. Like it looks like somebody built this log out of Legos. Weird. And you've seen it around. I'm sure you've seen it around. Do you know I'm what I'm talking to about? Picture it. No, not really. I'm trying to picture it, but I don't. I don't know. It's it's so of course brown cubicle rot. It's brown, and it, the yeah, wood is rough in such a way that it looks like it's made out of a lot of cubes. Usually, it's like you'll see a stump, and on the middle of the stump, <laughs> there'll be like you know this thing that looks like it's made out of hundreds or thousands of cubes. Oh That's, yeah, yeah. I I just looked it up, and yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, so this brown cubicle rot will last about as long as biochar. But, I mean, like, we're talking about some really old wood. This is some seriously rotten wood. It's so rotten that it's rare that you'll be able to move it in one contiguous piece. You'll have to move it, like, with a shovel or something. Yeah. On the other hand, it lasts, like, about 500 years. So, you know, you can move that in your... So does age matter and why? I think we're kind of covering some different things. Then there's also the whole thing of, like, okay, this wood is two years old. Well, that's pretty good for a rocket mass heater, so I'd probably prefer to use it as a rocket for, for like, you know... Or heat. Um, yeah. If it's if it's green, then it's like. But like, let's say it's, it's green and it's a week old. So a fungus has already moved in, and it's like, well, that's going to take like a bunch of time to try to dry enough to be able to use for a rocket mass heater or you know for heat wood. And so maybe I'll want to put it in my horticulture because I'm I'm just that lazy. Um. <laughs> I I think there you go. There's there's the list. Yeah. Age of wood. What's next? Age of wood. Um, well, Dean Howard asks, when to hugel and when to swale, limitations and advantages of each, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. But we've also already talked about this a lot. So. Yep. I think that one's covered. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one, where are the last one? Um, Mike Holmes says, is there, is there such a thing as too much wood in a hugel bed? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I think that I, uh, I've seen people do hugel culture where they stack the wood up and then they pour the soil on top of that and then the soil doesn't really get into the pile. And so I talked earlier about, you know, do a layer of wood and then the soil and a layer of the wood and the soil and so on. Um, so you don't have too much wood. Now, it's possible that you're a little low on soil and you're a little heavy on wood, and so you want to make a culture bed that's a little wood heavy. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, it it could be possible to get... I mean, it, we're, we're kind of back to the whole thing about uh, sand and clay and as opposed to topsoil. And it's kind of like <clears throat> it's 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 plausible to have too much too much wood. And if it's a if it's a big pile of wood without any soil, I think we could all see that that's not going to work out. I think that you will be extremely hard pressed to find anything that would grow in that. So then you can start putting like you start thinking about like okay now we've added a dusting of wood or a dusting of soil between the layers of wood, but there's, like, so little soil, it's stupid. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's really more like dirt. And it's like, 
can you get anything to grow in that? It's like, mm, not really. <clears throat> then we get to the point where it's like, all right, we have we have dirt between the wood, but it's like, you know, um, uh, like just enough to fill the spaces. And it's, it's really just super packed tight, you know, round wood. And the spaces between it is filled with dirt. And I, it's like, okay, we can work with that. And, the, and what we're going to do is, again, plant lots and lots of legumes and try and get this, get this started. It's going to take longer to get started. So yeah. is there such a thing as too much wood? Um, I think that, that if you have uh, more wood than, you, than is optimal, then uh, any, like, like, like far less soil than what is optimal, then then it's like uh, uh, it'll just start slower. It'll start giving you the hugelkultur magic payback slower. And if there's yeah. dirt or soil, then it's like you want to boost your nitrogen as much as you can, as fast as you can, to try to get, you know, converting that wood into something closer to soil. Um, so, yes, there's a thing that's too much wood, something where this is not going to start to break down. Where plants won't grow, you cannot get, you can't really call it a agriculture bed. You, you, your soil, you've just got too little soil to get anything get started. All right, what's next? All right, that's it. We got to the end. Oh, all right. Anything else you want to talk about? Kathy? Kathy? Yeah, did you hear that? No. Oh, it asked me. I, I'm like the host for this conference call or whatever, and so I have a special pin, and it just all of a sudden asked me for it. I, I don't um, I don't know if it's still recording. I think it is, but... All right. Did you have huh? anything... Is it, okay, you don't know if it's recording or not? Um, well, it didn't say the recording has ended. It, I think it just needed my pin to make sure that I was still here or something. All right. Let's pretend it's still recording. And, okay. Um, I'll just edit all that out. Okay. So do you have anything else you want to add to this podcast? Oh, man. I don't think so. I think we covered a lot. Okay. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about Google culture, home and permaculture all the time. All the time.